This episode is a very special live edition of the Danko Jones podcast because there's a book on us. Someone wrote a book on us. Stuart Berman wrote a book on us. It's called Too Much Trouble, and it's out on ECW Press. Stuart wrote the broken social scene book called This Book is Broken, and he writes for The Grid, Pitchfork, and has contributed to Spin, CMJ, and other esteemed magazines. He'll pop up when you least expect it, like the voice on the other end of the uh, Frank Black phone interview in the Pixies movie Loud, Quiet, Loud. We've been friends for a long time, and to be honest, I think the time was right for someone to write a book on our band. If the average lifespan for a band is seven years, whether people realize it or not, we've been around for almost 17 years. That's two and a half lifespans for a band. In that time, a lot has happened. But when rock and roll becomes the backdrop to what's happened, it usually makes for a good read. Stewart spent almost a year and a half interviewing people, hunting people down for interviews, even hopping on tour with us at one point to quote-unquote soak up the vibe, if you will, all to carve out what was staring us in the face all this time, the story of our band. Done in the oral history style, like Legs McNeil's Please Kill Me or The Other Hollywood, over 70 people were interviewed and they spanned the breadth of our career, from Ian Savonius, Jello Biafra, and Peaches, to Lemmy, Dizzy Reed, and Marty Friedman. Now that it's done, I can say that I'm very, very happy and proud about the book. I think Stuart did a remarkable job, and the people at ECW Press knocked it out of the park. Biographies are usually done at the end of a band's career, but I feel this is just a new beginning for us, as far as I see it. When you've been around the music game for as long as we have, but stayed the course at a consistent B level, never blowing up, but never going away, chances are your story will get lost in the breeze. This book captures and codifies our story for people who were into us, say, 15 years ago, but perhaps moved on, and for people who just got into us uh, three years ago. Now, is there a part two book? Hopefully. I mean, I wouldn't bet against us because there are no plans to slow down anytime soon. After all, we just put out a new record last week called Rock and Roll is Black and Blue. Now, I don't mean to push product on this podcast. I never plugged anything the band did on the radio show that I used to do. But I really got to say it's a great read, so please pick it up if you can. To commemorate the book's release on October 4th of this year, 2012, Stuart, JC, and I held an open discussion about Too Much Trouble at a venue called The Supermarket in Toronto. It was a fun evening hosted by CBC Music's Vishkana with Nick and Jay from Biblical and Julian from the Colaheads doing a karaoke set afterwards of our band songs. And I think the three guys did a bang-up job. And the boys from Biblical and, the, and Julian from the Colaheads really knocked it out of the park, especially Ju- Julian on guitar. He, you know, he, he was under the gun. I was watching him. And uh, all three guys did a great job. So thanks, guys, for that as well. Uh, before Vish and I even met, Going back to Vishkana, uh, we had already gotten into a bit of a Twitter battle, which when you hear this podcast episode is quite understandable. Um, And at this point, I don't think we can even carry on a conversation without the two of us trying to burn one another. So I reluctantly gave up my post as podcast host for this special live taping. In the end, 
I think Vish did a great job and talks her in the works to do more nights like this one. I must say that the audio is what it is due to the venue and my technical inability to work the soundboard to hook up the mics. But it is a testament to blue mic microphones because all I did that night was set up one Yeti blue mic in front of the PA. And I think it captured the very, very live atmosphere of this podcast. You can hear the general mulling of the crowd as more people showed up throughout the night and kind of wandered in and out of both rooms. Because uh, both rooms, meaning the venue where we held the discussion and the general bar slash restaurant area, were open. The doors weren't closed for this night. So you can kind of hear the... The, the people mulling about, you know, later on. But I still think it's quite an enjoyable listen. So here we go. A very special live edition of the official Danko Jones podcast. And it starts now. of the Danko Jones podcast. My name is Beach Connor. We're coming to you from the supermarket in Kensington Market in Toronto, Ontario. We're here to celebrate the uh, launch of a great new book called Too Much Trouble, A Very Oral History of Danko Jones. Now, before we get into the program, I do want to mention a couple of things. We have some sponsors to thank. Uh, Blue Mic Microphones and Skull Candy Headphones. If you are in the market for using microphones and headphones, may I suggest that combination? They seem like good people. How about a hand for our sponsors? Also, we wouldn't be here tonight if it wasn't for a wonderful press from Canada called ECW Press, who published this book. Uh, You can learn more about them at ecwpress.com. For those of you listening, that's where you can pick up the book. That's one area. You can also bother your local book retailers. And for those of you in the room, it's available tonight for sale for the special low price of $25. And it's a great read. So there you go. ECW Press, everybody. How about that? Uh, my name's Vish Khanna. As I said earlier, I'm from Guelph, Ontario. It's nice to be here. And, and I'm thrilled to introduce our guest tonight. Uh, one of them is a very uh, respected writer. He writes for The Grid in Toronto, also Pitchfork. He's also written a book called This Book is Broken, about a broken social scene. And he fronts a great band called The Two Koreas. The other guy, actually there's two other guys. The other two guys play in a band that you're all very familiar with, I'm sure, by now. One of them is a uh, raconteur. He has this podcast. He does all sorts of different things. It's just too much to really mention right here. I'm just going to bring him on stage. Should I just do that? Are you guys ready? Please welcome Stuart Berman, JC, and Danko Jones. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. Nice to have you here. Nice to see you. This is great. Thanks for having me on your podcast, Danko. No problem. Thank you. Are you okay with me taking it over? Like yes, I'm totally fine. It's, it's, it's kind of fun, right? It's to have someone else in the driver's seat. Not very comfortable about it, but it's cool. We'll do it for an hour. I will. Uh, I will do what I can to to, to drive the plane. If, 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 if I might say. Now, everyone's gathered here. It's great to see you all here. Now, you two. Before we get into the book, 
Stuart and, and Daniel, AJC, you all have an interesting history together in terms of how you, you know each other now, but you kind of encountered each other in, in kind of an interesting way. Can you maybe talk a little bit about, Stuart, how you first encountered uh, who we all know now as Danko Jones? I first knew uh, Danko as a sexy voice on the Sunday night on the radio uh, on CHRY. Was it Sunday night? Yeah, Seminal Blow, 11 a.m. to 2 a.m. He was a show called The Seminal Load, very tastefully named show, The Seminal Load. Seminal Load. Don't know what he could be referring to there. I don't understand. Um, so yeah, and you know, as the, when I was in high school, I would just like listen to uh, radio at night, kind of flip through these channels. I had a remote control that allowed me to flip through radio stations, mm. much like television. So I would go... I'm familiar with uh, TV. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's a wonderful invention. Beautiful. Um, How about a hand for media, everyone? <laughs> Sorry. So I would, I would scan we'll edit through, that out. Uh, <laughs> I would scan through like CKLN, which is 88.1, CIUT 89.5, CBC Radio had Radio Waves on, 94.1, and then York, CHRY, was 105.5. Yeah, so this show is Sound Malone. I would listen to you every Sunday night, and there was this very mellow dude co-hosting it. And uh, I learned a, a lot, like a lot of my fa what would become my favorite bands throughout the 90s. I, I was introduced through this show. Through show. Love. Interesting. And then a few years later, you know, everyone was talking about this band, Danko Jones, in Toronto. And, you know, I'd see him and it's like, you know, crazy dude on stage working his mojo. And then it wasn't until like around 98, 99 that I actually put two and two together that this, you know, Man with the dulcet tone in his voice was the, was the same guy. You're really kissing his ass up here. I noticed well, that. Yeah, it's, uh, interesting. <laughs> what do you want from this man? Just some royalties. <laughs> <laughs> JC, uh, were you uh, a fan? Did you hear Danko's uh, college radio show at all? Yeah, I used to hang out up there quite often on Sundays. Was it 11 to 2? Yeah, 11 to 2. 11 to 2. 11 to 2. Now, uh, this, this book is uh, multifaceted. It's not just a profile of Danko Jones. It's a profile of Toronto and the music industry in Canada as well. This is something you did in your Broken Social Scene book as well, where you have this kernel of a thing, and then there's these tentacles that go every which direction, and it's really fascinating. But how did you come to realize that there was this kind of story about Danko Jones? Uh, well, it's funny, like, Danko approached me after the Broken Social Scene book came out, and he asked me, you know, why don't you do a book about us? And Of course he did. Why wouldn't you say that? Why don't you write a book about me? I say that to people all the time. I am super fascinated. Is that what you did? Is that you just went up to him? That's uh, exactly what I did. You've got gall. See, the, the lesson here is you ask for something, you get it. I am going to talk to you after this. Yes. I have an idea for a book. This is going to be the first chapter right here. There I was, on stage. Um, and admittedly, at the time, it took a few conversations for me to sort of cotton on to the idea. Because, I, you know, I see Danko Jones as one of those bands that's, like, super consistent. And they just, you know, they do what they do and have found success doing that. But, uh, you know, consistency isn't exactly, you know, the subject of great drama or great narrative. So I had to, you know, really take a step back and look at their entire evolution. And you realize that, you know, and it, pardon me, I'm, after watching the presidential debates last night, I'm seeing everything in, like, squiggly lines sure. and stuff. But, you know, if you see their career as sort of this, like, you know, consistent trajectory, you know, when you look closely, you see there's actually been a lot of peaks and valleys along the way. And, you know, their story is really unique in the sense of, you know, what they've gone through 
both on an indie level and a sort of more overground level, uh, you know, really is unlike a lot of any band uh, that I know of. And, uh, you know, and the fact that, you know, they found such great success overseas, but, are, you know, don't receive the same love from their hometown is, is really, you know, puzzling question. Yeah. Especially because this was a band that in the late 90s, when I first, you know, got into them, they were the talk of the town. They were the sort of hyped, cool indie buzz band. And then, you know, that sort of dissipated, but at the same time, all this interest developed overseas. And, you know, they kind of lived this parallel life that uh, doesn't really make sense. Right. There's a disparity between what they were and what they are, and within that trajectory, a whole bunch of other kinds of disparities. And there are band that was sort of in the middle, a lot of sort of sea changes, both on in an indie level and a, and a larger music industry level. Right. You know, so there's just a lot of different narratives, both uh, within the band, you know, they've had a lot of, you know, personnel changes, and some, some amicable, some less so. You know, so Are there any drummers here tonight, by the way? Because I, there might be a gig for you. I'm just putting that out. Yeah, there's one guy, but he defriended me on Facebook. <laughs> Jay? He's going to be playing later. Uh, you know, I, I tried to add you as a friend on Facebook uh, yesterday, and I got a curious response uh, via direct message. You're on Facebook? <laughs> you don't want me to talk about you don't want me to, okay. No, it's fine. cool, no, it's cool. What, what happened? I sent you a form letter, like I do was everybody it, who tries to friend request. Was it you? No, I didn't understand. <laughs> yeah, it was me. And it was just basically like, you didn't have time to be my friend right now. <laughs> I sent everybody who's friend requests me a long letter basically stating how I don't have any time to friend, to accept them because I'm really busy. Right. That's, one, one can never be too cautious in this age. No, absolutely. I have several of them and then I'll, I'll just... Like in two weeks, you'll get. I shouldn't tell you this right now, but in two weeks, you'll get another. You'll get another letter going. You're in line. Keep on considering you. Seriously, just hold on, hold on. But I responded to your. And then you get. Then finally, when you get added, it's everything's in capital letters. Jay <laughs> Jay Anderson, is that why you defriended Danko Jones on Facebook? He doesn't want to talk about it. Do you see how traumatized he is by this? Well, I, I wanted at one point to get uh, more friend requests than friends. So I would, I would mail people and go, hey, be my friend, I'm on Facebook now. Then they'd friend request me and then I'd bam with the forum. Nice. This actually, your persona, if you will, and maybe J.C. Stewart, you can shed some light on this. It does seem to be always pushing against something. And I, I, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze you here. I have no degree. But I feel like this is stemming from something, you know, from when you were a kid, a formative time. Well, Richard Switzer, who's in the crowd tonight, is an old friend of the band and uh, put out one of their EPs. He has a good quote in the book, which basically uh, puts forth the theory that as a child, you weren't allowed to play road hockey with the kids in the neighborhood. That resulted in a lot of pent-up aggression. <laughs> That's like you, fast forward to chapter four or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is true. So that's true. So there's yeah. some element to that. JC, yes. do you do you feel like Danko Jones has a gigantic chip on his shoulder? <laughs> I think he entertains himself in, in a good way. And, uh, you know, just a forum letter there. Right, that's, right. I have, I uh, pretty... you're getting more, by the way. <laughs> I am? Yeah, I'm going to make you wait longer than you should. <laughs> do that. 
Okay. I like how you think I really want to be your friend on Facebook. <laughs> I don't care, really. It's fine by me. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. I, uh, I don't mean to pull an Nardwar, but I have something to show you, and I want to know if you can tell me what these things might mean to you. And maybe they, tell people they what they like are. look like seven-inch records. This is the Allied recording of Flake Camp's seven-inch, the first one. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Whoa. This is the Rob Zine cover of the double seven-inch. Mm -hmm. Bully my pushy. And this is the Twilight Pink Hog Bottom. You didn't bring the one that I actually helped put out as well. I'm sorry, I don't have. I brought the Duchess Barzula one. I brought. You, you want to look at these, Stuart? You can hold them. No, okay, good. Where are you going with this? Well, I just I bring up Flight Camp because they're one of my favorite bands, and they were a huge influence on you. And, and you got to a point where, much like the film Rockstar, you ended up playing with someone from one of your favorite bands. Yes, and that's happening today, too, because Adam Willard's in our band. Uh, from Rock, he's, He was in Rocket from the Crypt for 10 years. Right. And when we first started, when Stuart first started the interviews with us, uh, it's something I've said to many people many times before, and this was back in 2010. I said the, the, the only thing I wanted to do with this band initially was tour with Rocket from the Crypt and record with Doug Easley, who did all those Blues Explosion jukebox seven inches, which I love. And that's been compiled on In the Red. Uh, and Larry Hardy runs In the Red, said he was going to put out her album, never did, forgot that he said that to me. Easy, and then easy. I get, sorry. There's a lot of resentment coming through all of a sudden. This is going to happen. This is not the place for venting. Uh, <laughs> From you. Okay. Uh, so, Adam's in our band now. So, when Don Pyle uh, put out his Trouble in the Camera, Camera Club uh, book by ECW. Spontaneous applause for Don Pyle, a hero in Toronto's music scene. Also a shadowy man on a shadowy planet. And we've, had, uh, we've also had a Facebook feud through Stuart. <laughs> I'm in the middle of a lot of Facebook fans. <laughs> and I'm totally cool with Don, but apparently he's not with me. Right. Okay, so where um, are we going with this? My point... I have no idea. No, at the, at the book, book launch, much like this, yeah. uh, this was in 2011, I told Stuart that Adam Willard was going to join our band. And so that, to me, was, you know, I, I love Flight Camp, and Gavin is a machine on drums, as everybody knows. Or most people do. Um, and that was great for them. This is a band that influenced the start of our band. When they came out at Lee's Palace in 95 on Scream, Dracula, Scream, I was in the front row, and they started with us, like a real obscure song, and it was... It just, You're talking about Rocket from the Crypt now. Rocket from the Crypt. Yeah. That is a bigger deal to me. So having Adam in the band is like, it's just uh, a no, real circle. I, I, I only brought it up because I think it's also interesting that you started out in this hardcore punk vein. Like these were the people that you were really looking up to. At some point, and within that, you were kind of aspiring to be on labels like Touch and Go and who else? Uh, well, Touch and Go was the ultimate to yeah. me because it had every band that I loved. Uh, the Buttholes, Jesus Lizard, uh, Mule, um, Shellac, Shellac uh, Tar, John Boy, like with Quarter Stick, like it just, it was Girls Against Boys. Girls Against Boys, it was amazing. Right. And so we were on our way.
is friends with a lot of people. He's never really burned too many bridges. So he was he was able to get old band members trust people we didn't like and didn't like us. He was able to kind of at least procure a quote, like Sunset Rubdown has a quote in there. Well, their publicist. publicist has a quote. Right. Yeah. Unless he was able to get that. Mm. Um, I, I implored Stuart to, you know, implore to them, like, just speak openly and honestly because mm. nothing will be censored. So it is actually, a, it was so true that it got me pissed off at times when I'd read some of these quotes. And there was a point, right, where I read it, he gave me a rough draft, and I just said, oh, come on, please let me answer some of these quotes, because you just can't, well, you just can't be an open target. For, for those uh, folks who haven't yet read the book, there are, there is quite a bit of back and forth. Mm -hmm. Stuart does this very artfully. There's like a fairly loaded statement, maybe you respond, then the other person responds. There does seem to be some back and forth. Yeah, we've really, over the years as band members have left, we've really kind of taken the high road and not talked shit about them in interviews and stuff, simply because they're not here to defend themselves. I mean, but I'm totally an open book when it comes to them. I got the emails to prove it, man. Certain members begging to come back here yeah. into our band, and then in front of an audience or in front of people just saying, ah, fuck them, fuck, you know, I, I have the email Are you proof. allowed to swear on your podcast? Yes, yeah, you totally can. I'm from, I'm from CBC. We can't we can't say those things for job security. Get, get it all out of your system now. I don't just do it. I don't think I can. I think well, that's that, why you, you work for him, man. Call the mother court for a reason. I, sort of I can just see the Toronto Sun headline: <laughs> Taxpayer dollars funding profane. The point of all of this flight camp. We brought up Gavin Brown, who used to be in the band. My point is, there's been this interesting trajectory where you. You were within that indie rock, whatever, those circles. Those are the things you aspired to. I think early on for the band, uh, they were your aspirations. They yeah. seem relatively modest now. Yeah. Uh, but but you were kind of rejected by that, like uh, by, by Touch and Go in particular. Well, it's also worth remembering that in the late 90s, it was really hard for a Toronto indie band or a Canadian indie band to make connections across the border. Canada was very isolated from you know what was happening in the U.S. Like in the U.S., you had this whole infrastructure of labels like Matador and Touch and Go that were turning you know bands like the Blues Explosion and Pavement into you know semi-popular groups that could fill you know thousand, two thousand seat venues. Whereas in Canada, you didn't really have that infrastructure. You know, a band could sell out Lee's Palace, but there wasn't really anywhere to go from there. So, sure. there so the really thing. unique thing about Danko Jones in the beginning was they had all these U.S. connections to bands like uh, Blonde Redhead and, and The Makeup and The New Bomb Turks, who were popular club acts at the time. And, you know, instead of sort of busting their ass locally, they just went straight to New York yeah. with, with The Makeup and, you know, built followings across the border, which was a very unique thing at the time. Now it's so much easier because the internet has you know, broken down a lot of those barriers. No, and, and in the book it's really remarkable. I, don't, I can't think of any other Canadian bands, there probably were, but I can't think of any other bands that were kind of in my, you know, in my independent community that did that. And JC and Danko, can you maybe illuminate a bit about what Stuart's saying? How did you manage to do that? How did you manage to get these bands that you admired so much to bring you down to the States and then develop this sort of network. Well, with the New Bomb Turks, that was the first show that we played in Toronto. We played with them and they loved the band. So <clears throat> we were able just to go down to Columbus and play shows with them. With the makeup, we drove down to, I think it was Rogers, Buffalo. Buffalo, to see their show and we gave them, like back then we had a cassette, so we just gave them a cassette and we kept in touch. And then 
with uh, via makeup we met blonde redhead and then we did dates with them and so we just kind of made connections there so it was like networking and networking it was b b before the internet but it was faster for us back then and that's a, that's really something that nobody all these like <clears throat> rock, indie rock pundit come latelys who've joined the scene have no idea. Sorry, guys, if you're consider yourself one of those. Um, I, Does anyone consider themselves a Johnny Come Lately indie rock pundit? I just, I'd like to see your business card. It must be really long. Sorry. I'm trying not to get into a rant with this book because I can't. I do it at home. But you're, anyways, yourself, you're just by yourself ranting. Yes. That must be sad and terrible. Or is he called? Or is he calls it practice? Practice. Right. It's um, called the podcast. Right? It's called the podcast. That's what the podcast really is. Yes. Um, and that's that's a chapter, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this book is because there's people who only know of our band from like 2003 onwards or 2009 onwards. Uh, in Europe, some of the crowds that we look out into, the, they're really young now. They don't know that there's this whole thing, this whole chapter or two couple of chapters of our of our life as a band that encompasses all these kinds of people. Mm. Which is, you know, yeah, it's it's for me as a fan, and I don't, I mean, I think he's a great, he's been, he's treated us really nicely, but like the Nickelback tour with Chad was a totally different chapter than like, the tour with Blonde Redhead. So, you know, like, yeah. I mean, there's some people. We like to slot bands into you know, certain corners and certain scenes and genres, and this is a band that, you know, when you look at the spread of people that participated in this book, it's like, real strange mix of characters. Remind me to come back to that. I want to talk about that. But I do think what you're talking about is really fascinating because I think so many bands end up discouraged with these identity crises because they don't know where they belong. Like they're doing something kind of unique. It, it crosses over into mainstream sort of realms, but it, they come from independent music and, and they can't get over it. You guys at some point just said, oh, this is going to be fun. Fuck it. And, and basically... I think no. I think we took our slings from people in the book, from like Gavin and every and, and a couple other people, and it was us being too idealistic in the beginning. We were too idealistic, and to be honest with you, they were right to a certain extent. It became a burden, really. It became a burden. Wait, wait, like, what, are you, what are you saying? What was a burden? Like just trying to uphold like the ideals of the punk rock, the invisible punk rock police. The indie orthodoxy. Yeah. And and I just uh, we both of us just got tired of it, and we just we just went with whatever's going to be the most fun. If people are closing doors in your face, why would you continue to try to make them like you? Well, that's just it. Yeah. That was also that was part of it. And you knew your your music also maybe didn't fit. Like you were trying to you decided I think from what I understand from Stuart's book. You just decided that stylistically that isn't even this kind of sound you were interested in, sort of indie rock at the time. You were more interested in, in, in hard rock and metal and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, we came out of the, uh, the 90s underground garage scene, like the, the Gories and the Oblivions and the Headcoats and the Makers and, you know, the Smugglers to a certain degree. And, and that, like Stuart wrote in the book, that kind, that fashion sound changed. One of the most memorable quotes to me was, I didn't even realize there was still a band. That's from Ian Savonius, who says, I didn't even know this was still a band. That kind of hurt. <laughs> Sorry.
I'm just reporting. I know. I don't know why I brought that up. No, no, just I, that's the thing. Is leave it all in. No, no, but I mean, this is someone that you developed. Anyway, the point. That's not the point. The point is, it seems like a lot of legwork that you had to do. Can you talk about the experience of making this book? Which and, and do you know actually off the top of your head how many voices are in this book? No, I mean, I have maybe 70. There's like 73, I think. 73? You, you think 73? 73, 74. Maybe 73, I don't know. Maybe. Right, I counted. We once. have an over-under Then <laughs> We had some last-minute ads. I mean, there are sort of two groups of interviewees. Uh, like, there's people who are intimately involved with the band and helped, you know, helped them along the way, like bands like the New Bomb Turks, um, with whom they shared, like, a, a serious friendship and were instrumental in getting them to a certain level. And then there was a lot of bands, you know, because these guys tour festivals, uh, who they just run into backstage and have a good hang and they have a good anecdote. So, you know, those kinds of interviews can be done by email. Generally, you're looking for a very specific piece of information, whereas people who've kind of played a more instrumental role in the band, you know, require a much more in-depth conversation to, uh, you know, chart their progress. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's everything from in-person to phoners to Skype to emails. Can you maybe talk about some of the more notable people and maybe even a memorable story about interviewing any of them? Uh, well, the I guess the most popular name on a massive level would be Elijah Wood and Ralph Macchio, who uh, appeared in the video trilogy for their last record, Below the Belt. Uh, those people I actually did not get to talk to directly because they are uh, famous Hollywood celebrities with, with people surrounding them, but I was able to, through a third party, relay my questions to them, and um, actually the guys who directed the videos, the Diamond Brothers, you know, filmed them answering the questions for me, so that was... Oh, you got video of them. I have video evidence of them, at least, I didn't get to meet them, but I, I know they at least heard questions and were talking to you and responded to them. It was like a, a big thrill for you that day. It was. It was. It was answers coming back. But uh, what's great, what really amazed me, not, not that it should surprise me, but you know, people love this band. It's not just like, yeah, they're a cool band, I saw them once, but like, you know, someone like John Garcia from Caius, who's, you know, Caius were one of the great stoner rock bands of the 90s and Spawn, Queens of the Stone Age, among other bands. Um, you know, this is a guy who's like a veteran, has been doing this for 20, 25 years. And, you know, the intensity with which he was telling me his story about first hearing Danko Jones, it was like, you know, it was like he'd seen God. And, and this was a guy who's like been through the ringer, has every reason to be dejected and sort of cynical about the music industry. And, you know, he heard this band and it sort of re, you know, invigorated his love of music. Um, someone like Hank from Turbo Negro, who, you know, a band very notorious for their, their partying ways, you know, looked to Danko, who, you know, notice he's not holding a beer, it's not something he, he does uh, very much, and, you know, so to have Hank, who's like one of the most notorious partiers in Scandinavia, basically credit Danko with uh, turning him sober, was, was a really amazing Revelation. Is that, I don't even remember, really, did that happen? You should, should read the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Every third chunk of interview is just like, Danko Jones is the best band ever. <laughs> Everyone says that. It's remarkable. Are you surprised by how much love you got from some of these people that, some of them are your peers, some of them are your heroes? Oh, it's flattering. <laughs> That's it there. That was the whole 
reason for writing this book. That book could have been a lot shorter, I think, if maybe you were answering most of the questions. <laughs>
said a good fellow, and Jack, where's a good fellow? Whoever you are, but not me. So that's it. earlier tonight. <laughs> That's amazing. That is that is really funny. That, so these these are pretty authentic Nebraska. Hey, can we get Pete Lee here? Let's go. Is Pete Lee here? Pete Lee is Pete not Lee here. here. <laughs> he is not around anymore. And that all that stuff I did at the Eaton Center. I used to work at Music World. And yeah, I'd show if I if I had a shift that that started at four. I would I would I would show up at 3:30 and I would make phone calls for like half an hour and then I'd go to work. So. Do you still think of yourself as something of a troublemaker? No, or, not at all. Absolutely. Not. You don't do this kind of thing anymore. Absolutely. Not. What about the feuds? There's feuds mentioned in the in the book. You had a feud with chaos. You're bringing this shit up, aren't you? <laughs> chaos was supposed this to be in the book. Happening. Yeah. Chaos was supposed to be in the book. He uh, respectfully declined. Right. So you, so you start. I'm just saying, you still start problems. You are a bit of a troublemaker. No. Uh, we were trying. You were trying to get in touch with Gogo Bordello. We did a tour with them in '06 for like four excruciating weeks with that band. And you don't like that band. Well, I got no opinion. <laughs> uh, How is that even possible for you, Dango Jones, to have no dude, opinion? Hey, look, it took him nine days to say hi to me. Every day. First day. Be straight up. You don't like Yeah, me? I'm going to be straight up. First day of the tour, you all want to be friends. There's like three, four bands on the tour on the package. It was like a Vans thing. It's like, hey, uh, Bedouin Sound Clash were there too. So the Gogo Bordello, the dude, Eugene, uh, what's his last? Huts, uh, walks by me. I go, hey, hey, man, that walks right by me. First day, I'm like, oh, he's probably in the zone. Let's give him day two. Day two, same thing. By day seven, I was just like, no, this guy's an asshole. That's it. And he was for the and, whole time. The irony is that he's uh, good friends with Elijah Wood. Oh, really? He's a friend of Danko Jones. Um, Eugene and Elijah starred in the but, film Everything is Illuminated Together. So I was hoping we could work some Elijah magic to get Eugene in the book, but, but, but the quote you have from Eugene in the book is him disparagingly introducing Danko Jones who were on after that? Yeah, yeah Danko told me the story of how uh, they played, they were on before Gogol Bordello, and, uh, or no, so Gogol Bordello were on before Danko. That right story. Yes, sorry. <laughs> and, uh, Eugene said, coming up next is an ACDC cover band. And, and I was able to find uh, a, evidence. I found some reviews online that, that quoted that. But the wow. best part was for the rest of the tour, uh, before they went on stage, we played ACDC really, really loud. What song? <laughs> no, we just kept playing ACDC before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Our, our sound is <laughs> in the crowd. He, he would crank up every time Eugene would say something on stage about us, and it was usually... Referencing ACDC, he would crank up. What was it? Highway to Hell. <laughs> like the moment they they turned off their instruments, he would start the PA at like double the sound. That's awesome. So, all right, listen, we gotta we should wrap this up in, in some way, but uh, I do want to uh, ask you finally about what you hope people get out of this book, because there's just a lot of threads in here. It's not simply a profile or a biograph, but biography of a band. It really talks a lot about Toronto. Toronto community, how it's grown, uh, how you've grown sort of out of it and, and done well overseas. It's a lot about respect. It's a lot about uh, just 
making dreams come true, if I might say. I, I, I do want to mention that in the book, uh, there's a few people in the crowd here who are who are in the book. I just want to just say that. Um, well, there's Canning B at at Canning B. Is there <laughs> Brendan Canning? Hey, uh, Brendan. Hi, buddy. Who, if you listen to Brendan says he podcast number twenty nine, if you hear the last podcast we did, uh, Brendan just steals the show, and you got to hear it because he's hilarious. And then there's our sound man Corey, who's there. Are you here with Al Pacino's daughter, Brendan? <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's part of the podcast. Sorry, inside jokes are never funny. Uh, uh, Craig Daniels from the Leather Uppers is here. Uh, Dick Switzer is here. Al Nolan is here. Bruce LaBruce is here. Wow. Um, I, I, uh, I don't know if I'm forgetting anybody, but if I... Melissa Grant is here. Who? Who? Melissa Grant. Melissa Grant. Hey. Melissa Grant is here? Well, I'm glad that Melissa's here. Thanks, Melissa, for coming down. But she's not in the book. This is why I'm just, I'm just pointing out the people who are in the book who are in the crowd. So right. thanks to all of those that I mentioned that, that are here in the crowd as well. It was an interesting response to my question. Uh, I know. I had to get it out. I'm sorry. Stuart, two minutes to respond. Okay. Anyway, listen. I just want to give people who have been sitting here patiently. Are you guys having a good time during all of this, by the way? I'm trying to throw some dirt just to interest no, we wanted, we wanted to thank Go, go, Burdell. We want to thank you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. A lot of these people. Um, anyway, we want to wrap this up, but uh, just as a, a, a last remark, Stuart, what do you want to say to the people who are picking up this book? I was just hoping you know, people get uh, an a renewed appreciation for a band, perhaps, that they might take for granted and you know get a real sense of you know what this man has accomplished without a lot of the traditional tools that uh, you know, bands have to catapult them to success. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not as tragic as the Anvil story, per se, but, you know, I do see some parallels in the sense of, you know, a band that's underappreciated in, in their hometown, but also have a lot of admirers, a lot of celebrity admirers, a lot of people in, you know, sort of exalted positions who are big fans of this band and, you know, Take a step back and ask yourself, like, why does this band get so much love elsewhere, but not, not in their hometown? Do you have any final thoughts on on that particular problem? Like, why is it that Lemmy from Motorhead will will, will love Danko Jones? I go to see Jello Biafra at Lee's Palace. Who shows up on stage? Danko Jones shows up without the lyrics to the song he's supposed to sing. <laughs> but still, he's there. Jello brings him out. We went Quite a remarkable this. sight. So there's all these like people that have accomplished the Guns N' Roses. Like these aren't small names. These are people getting behind Nanko Jones. Some people are saying they're one of the best bands ever. And they're not just yeah, they're not just throwing them a bone. They're they're genuine it's true all very fans yeah. and like very, you know, they have a very intense connection with their music. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, th I think there's a lot of good quotes in the book if, if you read it. I mean, you know, I've theory, read the book. theories about uh, why, you know, things happen for them elsewhere but not here. Uh, I think it's like, you know, changes in the way radio, you know, the consolidation of radio ownership, you know, in the early 2000s sort of affected, you know, Danko Jones's place in the, in the sort of media landscape here. Um, I think in general, things are a little more trend-driven here and that, you know, in Europe there might be more of an appreciation for, you know, there's, there's more you know, long-term kind of fandom among music fans there, that they're not so beholden to the latest trends. It's not such a spit, you know, chew them up and spit them out kind of culture that people are real 
diehard True Blue fans for life. So, uh, yeah, maybe it's just uh, the book is just sort of a request to you know, take a step back and appreciate you know, what you have here. And, yeah. you know, don't, don't send all of our uh, great bands overseas and, uh, to get recognition. Right. That was very well put, eh, everybody? J.C. and Danko, uh, before we go, your perception of this book, uh, you've both read the thing by now, I assume. How does it feel to see your whole lives, uh, your professional lives, kind of unfold in a book? I know you put Stuart up to writing the book, so it's kind great. of... Yeah, it feels great. It feels great. <laughs> Flattering. And even. J.C., what about you? I think it's going to give people a chance who don't know the band to get caught up with the band. And this year, with having the book come out and the new CD and the DVD and just kind of almost like playing catch up on, on the band for all these years that we've done and you know I think it's going to be great for people to read. The new album is uh, Rock and Roll is Black and Blue coming out. Yeah. On out. October 9th? Yeah. I can do all the plugging. I know what's going on. Sorry. So everyone can pick that up and uh, ladies and gentlemen how about a big round of applause for our panel Stuart Berman, Daniel Jones and JC. Thanks for coming. you are.